Well, good morning, church. Good to have you with us for our morning uh, teaching time together in this service. Going to, for the next two Sunday mornings, uh, continue with the series Lessons for a Quarantine Church. And I want to talk to you about the two different ways God works in times of trouble. Two different ways, actually, two different ways God brings victory over trouble. And the text is Psalm 46, verse 1. You probably know the words. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. Let's just pray together. Precious words, these, Lord, and if we're going to get everything out of them that you would have for us, we need you to come, Lord Jesus, by your Spirit and quicken your word to our hearts that we will not only understand it, but we will taste sweetness in it and savor its goodness to our lives this day. So bless us. Bless our church all over this region and feed us with your word, I pray, on both sides of the pulpit. Feed us with your word in Jesus' name. Amen. God is our refuge and strength, the very present help in trouble. It's been called Luther's Psalm. Uh, for the simple reason that it was the inspiration, as far as we can tell, it was the inspiration for his famous hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And it would just be hard to even count the many thousands and thousands of Christians down through the years who have found some kind of comfort in Luther's words, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, a bulwark, never failing. Our helper, he, amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. And, and the reason the song has had such a long and fruitful history in the church is Luther captured not only the truth of this 46th Psalm, but the intent of the Holy Spirit, because Luther wrote a hymn based on that text. And when you go back to the beginning of this psalm, this psalm about God being a refuge and strength and a present help, it was meant to be sung in the church. So Luther takes and does the same thing that David did with the psalm initially. The psalm right from the beginning is written for the choir director or the worship leader. So the, the Holy Spirit intended that truth of Psalm 46.1, God being our refuge and strength, the Holy Spirit intended that to be a theme of worship and song and praise in the church, and that's exactly what Luther did. There's another reason the psalm has such uh, application to our hearts and Luther's hymn, such a strong history in the church, and it's the simple fact that troubles come. Luther said, God was our helper amid the flood. Catch, catch that emphasis on the word flood. And what Luther knew, what the psalmist knew, and what we all know, troubles come that way, don't they? They don't come one at a time. You don't get to deal with one trouble and then, all right, next, and you get to deal with that one. No, a better picture of the way troubles come into our lives is that word flood, an overwhelming sense of trial. 
like a flood. Seasons that are just hard to uh, explain, that go on longer than you think they should. And the psalmist pictures exactly that kind of situation. I was looking at even verses 2 and 3. Hope you have your Bible with you. Psalm 46, 2 and 3. The psalmist says, Therefore we will not fear, though the earth though the earth should change, and though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, and again, though the mountains quake at its swelling pride. It's more than beautiful poetry. Um, The psalmist knows of what he speaks, and it relates. Mountains. Mountains don't usually slip into the ocean. That's the thing about mountains. Mountains stay put. You can count on mountains. Mountains are strong. Mountains are immovable. Mountains are reliable. I mean, just picture, you're on a business trip, you're flying into Vancouver, British Columbia, and before your flight settles down into that lower mainland, you fly over those jaw-dropping, majestic, snowy peaks of the Rocky Mountains. Imagine if next time you flew the very same route and there weren't any mountains. Not one. Just flat land, maybe like you'd see around Regina, Saskatchewan. Flat as far as you can see. No, you, you can't even imagine that because you count on mountains staying in place. That's what the psalmist is writing about. Nothing that devastates your personal world more than more than the shaking up of things that you thought were immovable. The shaking up of things that you thought would always stay in place. You get used to some things for their reliability. You count on them. You count on certain things to sort of hold our lives in proper balance. And then, and then the market crashes. That rock-solid person in your life passes away. We have a moral collapse, and we betray our most cherished moral convictions. And suddenly, the world is different. The mountains have really crashed. Our supports are gone. It's very easy, even for buoyant Christians to become disillusioned and discouraged when the mountains are moved. When Where's God when you really need him? Now, there's a similar use to that mountain imagery, and it comes from the lips of Jesus, but he uses it in just a bit of a different way. Jesus says, truly, I say unto you, if you have faith and do not doubt You will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. So so instead of using the image of mountains as things remaining in place, Jesus uses the same imagery, that mountain imagery, but he calls to mind obstacles that are in our way. The things that just seem too too big to go around or too big to climb over 
common speech, we still talk about those things, don't we, as being insurmountable. Now, that's where this psalmist has good news, very good news. Whether it's the mountain-like foundations that we're relying on that seem to be crumbling around us, or the mountain-like obstacles that don't ever seem to budge, this psalmist tells us that God has not deserted us. Regardless of how we may feel, he says, verse 1, God is a very present help in trouble. He's not an absent help. He's not far away. He's not hard to reach. So in other words, the psalmist insists God is not useless when he's most needed. He is there. He is not inactive. He is a very present help. He underscores it. Not just a present help, a very present help. All right. Now we're getting to the theme of this teaching and next Sunday morning. How does God help? A lot of very good people wonder if, if he helps at all. I mean, lots of Christians put on a good face, but deep inside, why, why? God, why is this happening? Why aren't you doing something? What are we supposed to say to them? What are we to tell our own hurting hearts? And what I want to do, I want to look at two different ways God wants to help us in our time of trouble, our fears, our failures. Because if we don't know what this psalmist is saying, if we don't know how the help comes, we might likely conclude falsely that God doesn't help at all, and that would be a tragedy. That would bring a tragedy to the honor and glory of God and his willingness to help his people. So the key to it all, it's in that very first verse, Psalm 46.1, God is our refuge and strength. There's my clue to where we're going. A very present help in trouble. Now, the beauty of that, it's a one-sentence verse, and the beauty of those simple words is they tell us how God wants to help us. They tell us the kind of help we should look for in two very different kinds of situations. Sometimes God wants to be our refuge. Sometimes he wants to be our strength. And we need to know those two different kinds of situations and the two different types of help God brings. So first, there are times when God promises to be our refuge. Our refuge. In the Old Testament, you probably know this, there were cities of refuge where a person who was perhaps falsely accused or a person who had committed some kind of a crime, but by accident, he could flee to that city of refuge and he could find safety and he could find protection and he could find security. Refuge. Now, that's what the psalmist is saying. There are times when God wants to be our refuge. Sometimes safety is found in flight. Sometimes safety comes from fleeing, not fighting. That's what a refuge is for. That's what those cities pictured. People escape to a refuge. 
Now that's the picture, the first picture that the psalmist has in mind. But it's not weakness. God is our refuge. Sometimes we win the battle God's way, not by engaging, but by fleeing. Sometimes the need isn't armor and a sword. Sometimes it's refuge. Sometimes we can look the most, overlook the most obvious truths in our, in our Bibles. There's so much talk about spiritual warfare today, and there is. There is a certain kind of spiritual warfare at times. We'll look at that. But it's easy to forget you don't need to be constantly fighting every battle. In fact, Christians will fight many needless battles if they forget that many conflicts are avoidable if we would simply flee the situation and find refuge in the presence and safety of God. If you find that hard to believe, let me give you some biblical examples of situations where we win by fleeing. First, Christians must flee sexual immorality. 1 Corinthians 6.18, flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Why do people get tripped up in sexual temptation and lose battles? They lose battles because they were never supposed to be fighting them. In this area, victory is gained by putting distance between ourselves and any kind of sexual impurity. Pick all the internet sites. Check the lyrics of the songs. Pick almost any movie and program you want to watch. Look at the articles on the cover of the magazines in the supermarkets. We're a society that's obsessed with sexual expression, sexual freedom, sexual experimentation, sexual perversion. And Christians buy into a lot of these things. And they watch a lot of these things. And they're amused by a lot of these things. Soon... Soon our lives will get all gummed up as the thinking expressed in all of these things starts to saturate and influence our minds. And you know what's going to happen? Christians, those same Christians, are going to call out to the Lord when they fail with their broken heart and relationships turn sour and marriages fall apart and habits get formed. And when nothing seems to be working, those same Christians are going to say, why isn't God helping me? Why is he so far away? Why is he inattentive to my cry? But he hasn't been far away. And he hasn't been inattentive. And he hasn't been there to help. They have simply ignored the way God wanted to deliver them. Flee sexual immorality. They could have had freedom. They could have had blessing. They could have had the protection of God on their lives, but they ignored the kind of refuge God wanted to be for them. They dabbled with illicit sexual excitement. They didn't flee when they could have found refuge in the loving, sustaining, preserving grace of God. They didn't realize how God wanted to deliver them. Here's another example. Christians must... Flee idolatry. 1 Corinthians 10, 14. Therefore, my beloved brethren, flee from idolatry. Flee. 
I think it's a mistake to think of idolatry as a dated sin. It, it isn't confined to smoke-filled temples in faraway lands. Idolatry is the issue of, of where your heart finds home, your heart's devotion. It has to do with what, what is it that claims your attention? What is it that absorbs your energy? What is it that most dominates your mind and its affections and desires? We, we all live perilously close to this greatest of sins. We are, our hearts are idle factories. God wants to be a refuge for that. He wants to be a very present help. So Paul says there's only one way he can do that. You flee idolatry. You and I must, it's not a one-time thing. Day by day by day, moment by moment, we're, we're fleeing idolatry. We're aware of its presence. We're aware of its pull on our hearts. And we don't go for a minute without putting distance, pushing things back, crowding things to the edges. Your greatest chance for purity in this area is not found in engaging idolatry, but fleeing it. Not feeding it, fleeing it. And so Paul exposes the foolishness. The foolishness of letting your heart just lazily wander wherever it would like while praying that Jesus would be Lord of your life. It'll never happen that way. Never. God refuses to protect a careless heart. He preserves those. He's a refuge for those. He's a very present help for those who flee idolatry. Here's another one. Christians must flee, Paul calls them, youthful lusts. 2 Timothy 2.22. Now flee from youthful lusts. And pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Notice the corporateness of it. So these are wonderful, hope-filled words for all of us, especially, Paul says, those who are still blessed with youth. He writes, Paul writes to this young pastor. He writes to young Timothy. Timothy's on his mind But here's the hopeful part. Paul expects great things from Timothy. Just because Timothy is young doesn't mean he has to be immature. Timothy can shine for Jesus. But Timothy, like like people of youth, he'll have to make up his mind how he wants to live. And Paul says God wants to be his refuge, his strength, but he will have to flee youthful lusts. He he can't have it both ways, Paul says. He can't entertain some of these things and still devote his heart in safety to the Lord. I think Paul calls them youthful lusts because they're, they're probably particularly dominant in earlier years of life. And, and that, you see, that's when desires can solidify into habits that will so sorrow and weakness or strength and might in the years that follow. And so Paul tells us youth is the time to learn to say no to a lot of things. Youth is the time to learn to flee a lot of things. Don't, don't park your heart right on the edge of what you can get away with. 
Flee youthful lusts. Paul says, that's how you take refuge in God. So those are just some examples of areas where, yes, God wants to be our refuge, but not by an entangled battle and struggle with the world inch by inch, but with a quick and abrupt fleeing, refusing, separation from things. Some things are only defeated by distance. God wants to be your refuge. Many evil desires will dry up when neglected. And that's God's plan for giving refuge. So there are many times when you will hear, you will hear. Read God's word, be at prayer, be with the body of Christ, and you will hear the Holy Spirit telling you to flee. The solution is not negotiating, but fleeing. There's no victory in negotiating. God helps those who flee certain things. He wants to be your refuge. But that's not all the psalmist says. The second way God wants to be our strength, there are times when he promises to be our strength. God is our refuge, Psalm 46, 1, and strength. They aren't the same thing. A very present help in trouble. So we looked at refuge. Now strength. We should be grateful for this second provision. We all know there are certain things you can't run away from. You can run away from youthful lusts, but you can't run away from disease. You can run away from idolatry, but you can't run away from bereavement. You can't always run away from sorrow. You can't even always run away from certain forms of bankruptcy and financial loss. You don't go looking for these things. They seem to come seeking us out. What what do you cling to when the mountains slip into the sea? doesn't help just to tell people to hang in there. The psalmist has better news. When you can't run away, you can find strength. There is strength to fight the battles that you can't flee. I love 2 Timothy 4, 6 through 8. Paul, Paul, he's still writing to Timothy and he says, "For For I am already being poured out as a drink offering from prison. The time of my departure, he's not talking about a flight, he's talking about his death. The time of my departure has come. I have have fought a good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And he wants to be clear, he's an apostle, but he says, and not only to me, but to all who have loved his appearing. So he talks about this fight. Fought a good fight, kept the faith. The fight is to to keep the faith. So trials come, struggles come, and they war against your faith, your hope in God, your trust in God. They, They come with the intent of turning courage into fear, confidence into doubt, And the fight is to finish the course. Finishing is a lot harder than starting. 
And so you can see the divine strategy in the words of our psalmist. There are some dangers you can and must flee, but there are others you have to fight. You must fight the good fight of faith. It's, it's not complicated. Nobody will keep your life rooted in the word but you. You'll have to fight. You'll have to fight against indifferentness. You'll have to fight against laziness. You'll have to fight against distraction. And God will give you strength for that fight. Here's another example. Nobody, nobody will win the battle with bitterness for you. Somebody wrongs you, somebody hurts you, you feel that inside. You can't run away from it. You have to fight that with God's strength. You have to win the battle with your own anger, your own pride, your own emotions. You have to stand up and win that fight. Nobody will keep your own devotional life going for you in a time like now that we're in. You're going to have to fight for that. You'll have to win that fight. You'll have to fight the good fight of faith with your own whims, with your own moods, with self. You'll have to stand and win that fight, and God will give you the strength to do it. And, and so, so here's where we've come so far in this study, and we're, we're done. God is a present help, but you have to look for his help in a way that's appropriate to the situation you're facing. Victory doesn't always come the same way. Sometimes you win by fleeing. Sometimes you win by fighting. Don't get them mixed up. Don't settle for religious cliches. They're never enough. Don't just, oh, I'm just relying on the Lord, Pastor Don. Well, that's good, but, but do it with understanding. Know how God's help comes. God is a very present help in time of trouble. But you just, you have to know how he works. And you have to line up your faith and your actions with the way God wants to work in your situation. There's a victory in fleeing to his refuge. And there's also victory in strength for the fight of faith. God will help us. God will help us with this church. And so thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the sheer guidance of your word. It means so much to us that your word comes not just with platitudes, but with practicality, with, with the creative energy of your spirit when we apply it completely and accurately with understanding to our hearts. And so take these thoughts Send them out through the media and implant them in the hearts of your people, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.